Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journeys. I'm very pleased today to welcome Jordan Casalow and Jennifer Krauss to the podcast. Jordan is the founder of Vision Spring, a successful social enterprise that works to ensure affordable access to eyewear everywhere, as well as co-founding iLions, a multi-stakeholder coalition driving global strategy to increase access to eyeglasses at scale. Jennifer Krauss is a rabbi and author who weaves together an innovative mix of sacred text, contemporary experience and popular culture in her work. She's the author of The Answer, Making Sense of Life, One Question at a Time, and her writing and commentary have been featured in Newsweek, The New York Times, and Time.com. They are the co-authors of Dare to Matter, Your Path to Making a Difference Now, a hugely inspiring book that helps all of us that want to make a difference in the world live a life with purpose by using our unique gifts. Thank you very much, Jen. Thank you very much, Jordan, for joining me today on Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. Pleasure. Nice to be with you, Virgo. Yes, uh, and uh, nice to talk to you again, Jordan. We, we spoke before, and uh, today uh, very much looking forward to talking to you about your new book. Very exciting, Dare to Matter, uh, Your Path to Making a Difference Now. Um, and I'm just wondering maybe um, if you could both introduce yourselves a little bit and just talk a little bit about your background and maybe um, what, what were some of the motivations or your thinking behind uh, coming together to, to, to write this book? Yeah, I'd love to jump in here. Uh, my name is Jordan Caslow. I'm the founder of Vision Spring and co-founder of iLiance. These are both uh, social entrepreneurship organizations, and in the case of Vision Spring, and a system change organization uh, in regards to iLiance. Both are working to solve a huge problem in the world, and that is that there are over a billion people who are visually impaired or blind just because they need a simple pair of eyeglasses and don't have them. And in speaking around the world about these organizations in this issue area, no matter where I was, I kept getting a similar line of questioning. And that was something along the lines of, after my degree, I want to get a good job. I want to have a nice life, but I don't want to do it at the expense of having purpose and meaning in my life. So people were struggling to figure out how they could both, if you will, survive in the world, the world is expensive, but also to do it in a way that they also were living true to their values and having purpose and meaning in their work. And on reflecting about that question, it became pretty apparent that that has, had been and still is one of the central narratives of my life, trying to both have a nice life provide a nice life for my family uh, and myself, but also to live for something much bigger than myself. And how do you integrate those two very human drives into one life? And so that was sort of the impetus for, for writing the book. And as I was thinking about writing the book, um, I turned to Jen, who I'd known for many years as a patient of mine, uh, and asked her what she thought about the prospect of writing a book about this issue area. And she can tell her side of the story uh, but she looked at, at it, and luckily she concurred that there was a book in there, and we should go ahead and write one. And so that's uh, the, the genesis of Dare to Matter. 
So my name is Jennifer Krause, and I have been a, a rabbi for 20 years. And the work that I do as a rabbi has been uh, speaking and teaching across North America and as a writer. And the work that I do is always rooted in inherited Jewish wisdom and yet made for uh, a universal audience as the, the themes uh, of uh, what I do and what I teach and what I write about are universal human themes. And this work that Jordan and I have, uh, have done together really falls squarely into that category as well. Whether it's Jordan's work as a social entrepreneur or my work as a rabbi, one thing that we realize that we share in common is that those questions that Jordan shared that he had been encountering in his speaking and his travels are the exact same questions that I have encountered as a rabbi. And uh, I was Jordan's patient for a decade. So uh, when we tell the story of how we came to, to work on this project together, we, we always hear from, from people that it sounds a little bit like a, a, a joke, uh, you know, a rabbi and an optometrist uh, walk into a, a writer's room. Uh, but Jordan had been my, my optometrist for a decade. And I had gone in to see him for annual checkups uh, for that long. And Jordan knew a little bit about me and my work. And I knew Jordan as my terrific optometrist. But I didn't know anything about his work with Vision Spring. And when Jordan uh, mentioned in a oh, by the way, fashion on my way out the door of the office that he did this other work and that people had been telling him that he perhaps should consider writing a book. He expressed to me that uh, he wasn't sure whether the stories that he had to share uh, were enough for a book um, or that uh, if he wrote a book, that there wouldn't be an audience for it beyond his mother. And so he asked me if I would just take a look at the work and uh, listen to some of those stories and tell him whether I thought that, that there was enough there uh, for a book. And in addition to that, he said something to me that really uh, not only resonated deeply, but built on another one of my skill sets. Jordan expressed that he felt that to some significant degree that the work that he had been doing to make a difference in the world as a social entrepreneur was connected to and, and fueled by his sense of himself as a Jewish person, uh, and Jewish values and ideals. And so he asked me if I could look at this potential project through that lens as well, is he didn't really have the language for that. And it was something that, that I did have uh, the language and the experience to articulate. And, uh, and that's really how this project began. Fascinating. Fascinating. Now, um, I mean, uh, in both of your work, uh, and, and Jordan, you mentioned it too, um, you, you get asked these questions and, 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 and people are, you know, want to balance these, these issues, their, their lives and, and, and making a difference and so forth. We see 
particularly with younger people now in America and, and, and globally with Greta Thunberg, with uh, what's happening on the climate front, uh, very uh, inspiring. And, and large numbers of, of younger people really care, care about these issues. I mean, clearly with the environment, it's, it's, they, they will reap uh, you know, the consequences. But um, this question of you know, this idea of changing the world, making, making the world better um, and, and so forth, how, how, how deep do you think that is? I mean, you, you, over the last decade, uh, 15 years, how, can you talk just uh, set the scene a little bit um, you know, to what extent is this, you know, something that people uh, think about when they're young and then get down to their real life and, you know, work as accountants or whatever or work in big companies? Or, or, or do you think there's something deeper there? Well, I do think there's something deeper there. I think there is a yearning for meaning more than ever. I think uh, the promise of the capitalistic system, although it has provided so much good for so many people, uh, also has its limitations, and we have seen lots of research, and we cited in our book that more money does not necessarily equate to more happiness. And after a certain amount of money, as long as you have uh, a decent amount, uh, anything extra does not inure to additional happiness. And I think uh, people have started to understand that, and the next generation has observed that in their parents. Uh, and so there is somewhat of a, if you will, a lashback toward uh, moving toward experiences and moving toward um, making a difference in the world and finding uh, the deep meaning in, in life versus uh, just material gains. And so I think there's a real phenomenon there. And it's one that I, I believe uh, is, is well uh, suited to the times because there are lots of big challenges that uh, can keep this next generation engaged in, in both using their highest skill sets uh, as educated people, but also aligning it with their moral fiber. I think we're also at a, an, an interesting point in, in history, and you, you, mentioned, uh, you mentioned Greta, uh, where younger people aspire to lives that integrate remunerative labor and meaning, remunerative labor and social purpose. She's quite young, so she's not in the job market just yet. But there's a sense of calling for everyone to something bigger than themselves that didn't necessarily exist for, certainly for my grandparents or my great-grandparents you didn't think about generations, uh, not too many generations ago, people didn't think that they wanted to align uh, what they did for a living with how they lived their values in their life and did something to have an impact on the lives of others. But now we have, uh, for instance, more than 70% of students who are entering MBA programs Talk about wanting to find a way to integrate what they do to earn a paycheck with how they want to be part of repairing uh, and building a better world. So that instinct is there. And then on the flip side, you have companies and large corporations who understand that in order to attract the best and the brightest to, to their companies, they also have to have 
a social purpose, a social mission. You have that with Unilever and you have that with Deloitte. Um, so, so there is a movement afoot that is born of this idea now that, that we are somehow entitled to use some portion of our time day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out to not only take care of ourselves and our families, but also do something to take care of, of the world. That's very interesting. And, and the title, dare, you have the verb to dare. Why do you think that's important? Um, and uh, I, I guess this links to, you know, what are some of the challenges of, of turning ideals uh, and values? And I'd like to talk more maybe about values a, a little bit later, and maybe you can talk about that, the, the, you know, the importance of values, but t- turning them into action. And um, yeah, the, 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 the daring well, I can speak toward the uh, the Dare to Matter title because it comes from the uh, an experience that we talk about in the first chapter of the book. Uh, when I was a young guy in my early 20s, I spent a lot of time in vast wilderness areas. And one summer I found myself in the northern reaches of Alaska and I was climbing a mountain uh, in a pretty tr- a horrific storm. Uh, where the wind was whipping and the rain was slashing my face. And it felt like the whole world was conspiring to tell me that I was insignificant. The, the grandeur of the landscape and the harshness of, of the weather made me feel really small. For your audience that might be over the age of 30, uh, there's a great Kansas song called Dust in the Wind. And that was my Dust in the Wind moment where I was being told that I'm Uh, nothing but dust in the wind. And as a young person who had a lot of verve and a lot of energy for life, I hated that sort of message that was coming from the universe. And I remember literally screaming back at the wind, uh, saying that I did matter. And that was my dare to matter moment. I, I knew at that moment that whatever I did in my life, whatever my profession was going to be, uh, was important, but not ultimately important. What really was important was that I was going to make a difference in the world and I was going to make my life make a di- matter in the world. And that was my dare to matter moment and thus the, um, the, the title of the book. And I'll let Jen talk a little bit more about um, the significance of, of dare and, and the values and the other parts of the question that you had asked. Even the, even the title is wonderfully representative of these synergies uh, that that Jordan and I discovered in our writing of the book, which in the beginning relied largely on me listening to stories like the one that Jordan just shared in inherited Jewish wisdom. Uh, we are taught that a person should walk through the world with two notes, one in each pocket. One note in one pocket says, I am but dust and ashes. In the other pocket, there should be a note that says, the world was created for me. The reason for the the world was created for me note is because all human beings, according to inherited Jewish tradition, all human beings, not Jewish people, not Christian people, not Muslim people, but 
building on the book of Genesis and the beginning of all creation as it is shared in the, in the Bible, that all human beings have something that they and only they have to contribute to the world. And that it's not to say the world was created for me in a narcissistic way, but in fact, to remind us constantly, the world was created for me to make better. The world was created for me to change. And it does take a certain degree of audacity to not only embrace that awareness and understand that you in fact are that powerful, but also that you are that essential. And then to build a life that allows you to activate that unique part of your being that the world is counting on you to contribute throughout the course of your lifetime. Farrell, can I just jump in there a, a little bit before we get to the next question to just expa- expound on that a bit? Uh, and, and that was another major motivation of, of writing this book. As Jen said, we are all encoded for something that's important and that's big and powerful. Uh, but in today's world, with so much pressure from parents and schools and social media, for kids to define success in a very narrow way, uh, and if you don't go to these schools and work at these firms, you're not quote-unquote successful, a lot of times kids end up in places where they don't necessarily belong and where their power is not going to manifest. And so what we're finding is that we have a generation, although you talked about earlier, uh, many of them are turning towards social issues. At the same time, we have a generation whose inner voices are being um, muted by societal pressure, and they're not finding that special um, power within them and what they're specially encoded to do because they're following in the footsteps of, uh, of the societal pressure that is so intense these days. So that's another uh, theme that we talk about in, in this book. Yeah, uh, yes, it's, it's very interesting to talk about the pressures. And I, I just, again, um, maybe a, a, a U.S. Uh, perspective uh, on this, but um, this, this question of, uh, and I think Michael Sandel talks about this, uh, you know, the market and I guess financialization and financial values being so dominant in the culture and um, the, the impact that that has as well. And, and, and can you talk a little bit about that? And Because and, um, as you say, on the one hand, there's this balancing act, isn't there, that you're talking about, you know, the values-driven and social uh, kind of uh, agenda. And at the same time, there is this, this other side that, you know, people need to, you know, uh, make, make, support themselves in the world. Yeah. Yes. You know what we what we see is there are certain people who have done fantastically well in uh, the marketplace, if you will, and with financial success. But what we also find is that those people are no happier than the average person. In fact, uh, they're less happy, and the reason is because additional material wealth and financial success is lacking the very key ingredient that is the other side of us as humans, which is that strong desire to live for something bigger than ourselves 
and give back to others and make the world a better place because you're in it. So it ends up backfiring to some degree if you're out of, out of whack. On the other side, uh, there are only a few Mother Teresas in the world who can live in, in a very humble, simple way and just be pure giving. Uh, most of us need both. Most of us need to have enough financial uh, stability so that we can have a nice life and support our family in the way that we want. Uh, but also, we also have a strong need to, to give back and to live for something bigger than ourselves. And that integration is really the key to this book and the key to what we would consider a full and whole life. And I, I think that just to, to add to that as well, uh, be, what Jordan said about not all of us uh, are going to be Mother Teresa, not all of us are meant to be Mother Teresa. There, there is something in the world that calls on, that needs each and every one of us. And it is our obligation to take that inventory of our lives, of our signature talents, of our goals, and, and of, our, of our passion. What is the thing in the world that, that makes you the most upset when you hear about it? What is that thing in the world that if an article comes up on your Apple news feed or you're listening to a podcast, what is that thing that suddenly you realize, you know what? This makes me more upset than any other thing that uh, that I hear going on in the world. And then to to listen to yourself and to do an inventory of your total life to understand how much money really concretely is enough for you. How do you spend your days? Where are you allocating your time? Where and how are you using it? And, and so the, the book itself, although it's about making a difference, it really starts with looking closely at you, at your own life, at your own aspirations, and what you hope to leave as, as a legacy for your life, no matter how old you are, to start thinking about legacy so that what you do day to day is really aligned with your vision. And if part of your vision and your highest hope for, for your existence is that you will do something that will transcend your brief time on this earth. Uh, if that's what you want, then uh, you, have to, you have to build the foundations for that. And then you really do have to dare to live that out every single day. Yes, yes. It's very interesting. Now, because Jordan, you know, you're, you're an experienced social entrepreneur. To what extent are, is the audience for this book people that you want to go out and, and not just set up uh, new businesses and so forth, but work in socially oriented or organizations or get involved in NGOs and that kind of thing? Or to what extent is it a broader vision about incorporating that in whatever you do? Uh, and with a particular focus on the workplace? It, it's much more the latter. Uh, Jen and I, with our publishers, were very cognizant of the fact that it might look a little daunting for people to say, oh gosh, well, he started a social enterprise that helps millions of people. Uh, I can never do that kind of thing. So we always 
as we were writing the book, kept in mind uh, what was realistic for an average individual um, who was working nine to five, who had a busy life, who might have had some children at home, who didn't have millions of dollars in the bank, to offer them handholds of how they could start to integrate making a difference uh, in the world into their lives, whether it was volunteering at their local church. Uh, and sometimes uh, it's even just working on yourself, to give yourself some time to reflect on what does make a difference for you, what matters to you. Uh, you know, change makers have to be good, good at changing themselves first. And so a lot of the book talks about how that's a, a critical component to healing the world is first looking inward and healing yourself. So we don't have expectations of everybody who is going to read this book is going to start uh, 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 their own social enterprise that helps millions of people. It's just a mindset and a way to uh, help people integrate thinking about what their special ingredient is that brings uh, them joy, that brings their power into the world, and trying to help them manifest that in some way or uh, or another, start small and hey, maybe it will lead to something that is uh, is is large and, and big. Um, but to the idea is to start and to 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 get going. And Jordan and I fought really hard for the book to be exactly the way that Jordan described it. Uh, this was a six-year journey for us of going from idea to ISBN number. And part of the reason for that is we didn't want this to be a book that solely inspired people through the lens of Jordan's story, which it easily could be. The reason why uh, Jordan and I ended up uh, writing this book together is because I was inspired by the work that Jordan did, and I still am inspired by the work that Jordan does. It's staggering how many people Jordan has has helped in the world through building Vision Spring and also through iLiance. Uh, but we didn't want it to stop there because uh, the world doesn't need uh, you know one Jordan Castle. The world needs as many willing souls and as many willing hands and hearts as there are human beings in the world in order to undertake the project of, of healing uh, a broken world. And to that point, I think that we're living in a time when the problems of the world can seem so insurmountable and so overwhelming that they almost bully any one of us who, who wants to, to do something to help uh, into inaction. So we didn't want the book to begin and end with an inspiring story and an inspiring person. We wanted to go the next step. We wanted to write a book that would take every single person who read it from inspiration to personal individual action. Yes, I mean, this is very profound, This because um, clearly you look outside, you look in the world, you see these issues, you, you can become well-informed about them, and you can, you know, uh, start to get involved in some way or other. 
um, and, and, and also in the world of business, in the world of social entrepreneurship, but, you know, very technical skills required, you know, finance or marketing or things like that. But when it comes to these, this question of, you know, I guess knowing yourself and, and, and then changing yourself, this is very profound and, uh, it seems, seems to me to be deeply, uh, deeply challenging for everyone in their lives, even for people who aren't necessarily drawn towards, you know, social, uh, change and making a difference. So uh, can you give us some advice, really, and, and, and how you think about uh, this uh, to, to, to actually start this process? Because presumably as well, it's, it's not something that happens overnight. And, you know, some of these questions people have for the whole of their lives, they think, am I doing something that matters? Is this my vocation? Is this, you know, what I was meant to do and so forth? So, you know, uh, can you talk a little bit of the, 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 that journey? Well, we we often talk that the the journey starts when one's heart lifts, and that forces you, if you will, to enter the arena of change making. Um, what we implore implore people to do is to ha- to have what we call a prepared heart. What what that essentially means was is that, for instance, in my particular case, as an example, uh. When I had that moment in, in Alaska, that was an opening of my heart that I knew I wanted to make a difference. And I knew at the same time that I had no idea how. Uh, but the first step is to, to uh, have that hunger and have that need to uh, make a difference in the world and to sort of prepare your heart. And once it is prepared, it acts like an antenna where it can start to be very sensitive to events that can move you to action. In my case, my antenna didn't have to be very sensitive because I got kind of clobbered over the head with a very profound moment, which I think I've talked about in uh, past podcasts with you, Fergal. And that was when I, a few months later, about six months after I was on that mountain in Alaska, I was starting my studies to be an optometrist and I found myself across the uh, table uh, of one of my first patients who was a seven-year-old boy who thought he was blind. And we realized that he wasn't blind and that all he needed was a really strong pair of eyeglasses. And I was the person who gave him those glasses, which basically changed both of our lives. And that was a moment where if my heart wasn't prepared, uh, it might have, might have been just a very cool experience. But because my heart was it really redirected my entire life. And from that moment on, I've been somewhat obsessed, if you will, of making sure that the injustice of, of poor vision uh, is, is addressed. Uh, and so as a very first start, uh, what we talk about is just having a prepared heart. And I'll let Jen expound on that as well. One of the chapters in the book is also called... Uh, Uh, practice dying, which may uh, sound a bit morbid, uh, but it's, it's another tool. It's another skill that we want to offer people as they're reading uh, to help them take that inventory uh, constantly of, of their own individual life and to think about, am I spending my time the way I want to spend it? And at the end of every chapter, we have a segment called Take the Dare. And in this particular chapter, the dare is 
no matter how old you are, so you could be 22 years old, you could be 62 years old, you could be 82 years old, to write your own eulogy. And as you write it, see what you glean from, from that as you think about how you want to be remembered. Uh, think about, okay, what are the action steps that, uh, that it will take for me to carve out that legacy? And to return to what you've written periodically, to actually schedule time in your calendar to come back to what you've written, to check in with it, to check in with yourself. Uh, this is one of the things that we think is essential, um, not only uh, to create a life well-lived, but to also make sure that if making a difference is, is part of the vision that you have for a life well-lived, uh, are you spending time, are you sharing your, your talents and energy in such a way that your actual lived life will align with, with that vision and, and with what you hope to leave behind? Yes, yes. Um, very interesting. Now, now you talk about the beginning of the journey and, and, and this, you know, opening of the heart, as it were. Um, and, and that's uh, very profound. As, as, as you go along, as we go along in our lives on this journey, um, what, what are one or two of the biggest challenges that, 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 that people face? Because, you know, um, we can have these moments of insight, we can have these inspiration, we can think we, you know, this would be really amazing if I could, you know, do this or you know, some kind of vision. But, you know, life sometimes doesn't, <laughs> uh, at least seemingly, uh, you know, deliver that to you just like that. And um, can you talk a little bit about some of the, the, the you know, how to keep, how to keep the, I guess, the fire uh, going, the dream, uh, uh, which you talk about in the book, and, 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 and keep, keeping things going? Yeah, that's an essential question because making a difference uh, is a life time commitment uh and it is something that you do have to keep going uh if you're going to if you will inure all the benefits uh that come from that kind of dedication uh and so part of it is somewhat formulaic and so what we talk about in the book is something what we call uh, the do good discount so for instance if you can schedule in doing good into your career or into your life that helps because it gives it a framework. So in my particular case, uh, with my partners, I was able to negotiate a, a deal where because I was working less at the office, I was making less money than them. Um, and I took, what, if you will, a 30% cut in salary uh, to, to have the time to pursue my ability to start Vision Spring Alliance and do the work uh, that Jen and I have done in writing the book. And so part of it is, uh, is really kind of setting up your life in such a way that you have guardrails around the time where you're going to be dedicating your life to more of your legacy work and more of the work that is closely aligned with your, your passion and your, your inner fire. Um, and so I think that's, uh, part of, of the situation, but there are many times that I was potentially de derailed too. Listen, 
when in, in my case, again, uh, raising three kids in New York, it's an expensive uh, place to live. Three kids takes a lot of time and effort. And there w- would have been really easy for me to just sort of say, you know what, that do good stuff is wonderful, but it's now time to be a real grown up and hunker down and make that additional 30% and, um, and tend to, uh, to my business and so forth. Uh, but I, I knew that uh, that was something that even though it might have been at the time the easy path, it would have taken me away from my true self and my true north and uh, would have had negative ramica- ramifications for my well-being in the long term. I think also we, what we want to encourage people to do, um, other, other just small course corrections, things that they can do on a daily basis that aren't about going out and, and doing big things every day. But in the same way as Jordan's talking about preparing your heart, so preparing your, your eyes and ears and, and your soul, um, things that you can do, um, that are, that are really, uh, they are, they are innate, like, take stock of what is good in, in your own life to be grateful for what you have, uh, for the relationships, for the people in your life and to, to encourage yourself not to despair. Um, we, we are living in a time, uh, where certainly, uh, in the United States, and I don't think that this is unique, sadly to the United States, but there are there's a a sense that we we can no longer trust in the institutions that we have historically trusted that there's uh, that there are fraying social bonds uh there is a loneliness epidemic and i think a lot of that really does come from feeling like the world uh conspires against us when we hope to do something for the greater good and yet I, what we want people to take away from the book is that if you make these small efforts, if you reach out to others, if you offer a little bit of compassion, whatever way that looks like to you on a daily basis, if you take stock of all that is right and good for yourself and in the world, that you can combat that despair. And then in fact, the world will conspire to help you. The world will conspire to give you hope. The world will conspire to assist you in, in reaching that goal that you have of, for making a difference in a world that so often seems to resist change, but in fact is very hungry for it. Yes, it it makes me, it raises a question, I guess, thinking about this. I mean, you talk about the compassion and, and helping and, you know, I guess we all intuitively get that, you know, helping people who are hungry or, um, you know, uh, in, in smaller ways, uh, in little ways in your neighborhood to, to, to larger ways as well. But what about um, uh, the, 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 the idea of speaking truth to power and, you know, um, 
maybe more aggressive, maybe more radical kinds of changes that might be necessary. You know, uh, some people think that, you know, we're at a particular moment in time and, 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 and change is needed and, and change often uh, requires some really uh, strong action, which, um, you know, radical action. Um, to what extent do you embrace that kind of thinking and, 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 and those kind of uh, aspirations within the book? Jen, do you want to, to – I don't know if we directly talk about that in the book. Jen, do you have a, a, a note of uh, when we might talk about that in the book? Other than what I would just quickly say is, as Jen was mentioning before, uh, a lot of what we encourage people to do is sort of tune into what are those things in the world that make them angry and really piss them off and piss them off enough to drive them to action. And a lot of times if you can tap into – that uh, the power of that anger in a good way, uh, you can bring to solutions, uh, you, you can bring to, to bear solutions that do talk into the face of power where injustices uh, reign. Uh, and it requires that sort of level of intensity uh, to fight back some of the major injustices that are happening in the world. And I, I, I do think that we, while we don't, we, we actually don't encourage a particular type of change. What we're trying to do is get people thinking about what is the need in the world that needs them most and getting them to decide, well, when they find the need that needs them most, uh, does their action require a sense of urgency in this particular moment, or does it require that they work deliberately, patiently? And that can also change over time. The more engaged you become with that particular need that you understand needs you most, you also begin to understand what it takes in any given moment to keep pushing that boulder up the hill. And in that regard, I do think that a reader seeing the, uh, kind of seeing how that plays out through the lens of Jordan's story, uh, Jordan shares in his story that there were moments that called for a sense of urgency and to push and to be uh, sort of in the face of people and of, and of, uh, entities who could be most helpful. And there were other times where things had to be more methodical. And so in that regard, I, I think that we want readers to have their takeaway be get, get into the fray, um, get close to the problem that, as Jordan said, that, 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 pisses you off the most or that causes your, your heart to open and lift. And then as you become more expert in what it takes to unravel that problem or take down that issue, then you and the people who, who you connect with and are working with, because we do also encourage readers to do what we call dream in the light. No one can take down a complex issue by themselves. Um, so sharing with people that, hey, this is something that I want to do. This is a change that I want to be a part of making. And then finding like-minded people who have skill sets or experiences 
um, where they can say, you know what, this is a moment for activism. Um, and the person can say, you know what, I'm an activist. Um, I am someone who is going to, uh, you know, get on a, a, a boat and cross the Atlantic and get in the faces of politicians to say to them, uh, you don't get to ruin my future as a young person because you're ruining the earth. You know, some people are meant to be activists. Some people are meant to be strategizers. Uh, so that's, we really wanted to leave that open uh, to the reader because we can't tell a reader um, how they're meant to, uh, to, to make the kind of change in the world that, that they want to make. Yes, that's very interesting. Very interesting. Thank you. I'm I, I just wondering about how, how do you define success for yourself as a as a social change uh, uh, activist or, a, or you know, an aspiring social entrepreneur, somebody who wants to make a change in, in, in the world? Because at the heart of, 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 of your book are, are these ideas really of, of looking within and doing a lot of deep personal work as well sometimes you know people can work for years and years and years and there's not necessarily you know the conditions aren't right for something to change and it's difficult to to you know see that what what, what what's your counsel for for uh people on this journey about uh you know uh, assessing how, whether they're whether they're they're, they're they're doing it okay whether it's it's, it's working well i think it has partly to do with what Jen was talking about was to identify a need in the world that needs you most. But at the same time, that need has to also feed you. So we talk about what needs you and what feeds you. If you find something in the world that needs your skill set and your energy and that you're well aligned and you're specifically encoded to do, that is half of the equation and that's a wonderful thing. But if for some reason that doesn't feed you and doesn't bring you joy and doesn't uh, enrich in your life, you're not going to be able to sustain action. And social change work is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So you need to find that beautiful combination of what needs you and what also feeds you, uh, what gives you energy, what gets you out of bed in the morning, what adds an extra skip to your, your step, uh, and, and what truly matters to you uh, that, that you are dedicating your life to. So as long as you have that, even though uh, progress may be slow, keep on going. Uh, we encourage people to try to find issue areas that are going to outlive them because uh, that will ensure that they have important work to do throughout their entire span of their life. Don't pick small problems necessarily. Pick problems that are are big enough to live a life uh, wrestling with and trying to, to change. Uh, so I think that's uh, that's part of it. Now, listen, we don't also want people to be spending an inordinate amount of time and energy without getting any kind of traction. Uh, and so sometimes, um, you know, timing is, is very important in, in business as well as social change. And if all of the currents are, are against you, uh, and you're making no progress despite your your greatest efforts, then we don't necessarily we won't necessarily say give up, but you may want to shift strategy, and you need to uh, be also quite flexible. Uh, when we started uh, Vision Spring, we took a particular approach that was 
moderately successful, but wasn't really getting traction. And we kept hitting our head against that wall. Uh, and until we ha had the ability to sort of look more objectively and say, listen, we love our idea, but it's not about our idea. It's about solving the problem. We then were able to go back, strategize, bring in some more flexible thinking into solving the problem. And we did uh, a shift in strategy and we did a, uh, an end around run uh, to get to the same place uh, and got onto a much uh, greater, uh, much more powerful path and a, and a much more productive path. So um, it, it's a combination of, of, of those things. I think also we talk about, uh, I, I love when, when, when Jordan said, pick a problem that you know will last a lifetime. I loved that idea so that it, so that it, also would be rigorous and challenging enough to be engrossing, to, to capture your soul and, and to keep uh, also throwing down the gauntlet before you to, to make you have uh, a sense of deeper commitment, um, but also to have incremental successes uh, so that you don't constantly feel like you are tilting at windmills. Um, but I, I think also from a, a, a Jewish traditional standpoint, one of, uh, one of the, the greatest teachings around this uh, is that it is not our job to, to complete a task, but we also aren't permitted to, to sit it out just because it gets hard. And, and so I think as long as we are actively participating um, with our time, with our efforts, with our talents, actively participating in trying to achieve something that's bigger than ourselves, that will transcend our lives. As long as we're doing that, um, we don't always have to do uh, a lot of navel gazing and make the determination, especially with a problem that is a, a you know, that is uh, going to take a life, going to take a lifetime to tackle, to not spend so much time uh, evaluating uh, whether whether we're we're actually achieving the goal, but that we're staying with things that um, really are either part of problems or are problems that are quite intractable and that will take a lot of time uh, to and a lot of effort. Uh, to chip away at. Yeah, very interesting, very interesting. Do, do uh, both of you maybe have one last piece of advice for listeners? We've covered quite a lot of ground and some of the key key ideas and themes, I think, in, in the book. Uh, anything you'd like to add? Um, I, I would just add a, a couple of uh, quips. Um, we often talk about that it's really not about what you do for a living. It's what you do for a life. And then I'll also just end on one of my favorite quotes by Thomas More that says, finding the right work is like finding your own soul in the world. And we hope that uh, your listeners uh, can find their soul in the world. Uh, yeah, and I, I do. I think that apropos of that, um, we encourage people, if you want to make a difference, don't start with trying to find what's that big problem out there in the world. Start in your own backyard. Start with what's in your heart. 
Um, start with knowing yourself really well, start with knowing how you want to spend your time and the kind of life that you dream of building for yourself and for your family and the people you love and for people whose faces you may never see who will forever be strangers, but, um, with whose lives yours is, is bound up, um, as a human family start there and, the world will conspire to, to lead you to uh, where you're meant to be and what you're meant to contribute um, for the greater good. And, and in that way, um, in the book, we, we quote uh, a 20th century um, rabbi and, and theologian um, and social activist, uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, uh, who says that... Um, that our job as human beings is to concretize the quiet eminence of our being, that we need to wake up every day and say, my existence is unique, it's unprecedented, it's priceless, it's exceedingly precious, and that every day it is our job as human beings to resist the thought of gambling away its meaning. So we are hardwired for meaning. We have everything we need to make a difference and be a difference, but we do have to keep daring to do that every single day. So, so where can listeners find this book? This book should be available wherever books are sold, particularly online with Amazon or barnesandnoble.com or any of the online booksellers. Uh, we also, in addition to having the hard copy version, there is an audio uh, version as well as a Kindle version. Excellent. And I highly recommend that listeners go out and pick up a copy of this book. And thank you both for your time today and, and, and f- fascinating uh, discussion and commitment to this work. And I wish you the very best of success in the future. Thanks so much, Fertil. This has been terrific. Yes, indeed. Thank you. It's been a great conversation. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur Podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.